Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2. And this morning, we want to look at this position of the call uh, to prayer. Now, as we begin to prepare for this message, if you're like me, years ago when I read this, I know that the pastor said it was a pastoral epistle. It was a leadership epistle. And so, lo and behold, he's teaching it on a Sunday morning. And you think, well, you know, the call to prayer. It's talking about Paul the Apostle. So we know that Paul is called to prayer because he's in ministry. We look at Timothy, we look at Titus, and we look at so many other men that are part of the New Testament church that were leaders, that were pastors. Paul was one of those that planted churches. And so we assume, yes, they're called to prayer. But this morning, if we're Christian, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, God calls each one of us to prayer. And I hope and pray that we have some type of time with the Lord that we pray, that we seek His face, seek His direction. And as we're going to read verse 1, we have four positions in prayer. And so last week, we were giving Paul's testimony. He was sharing how he, God enabled him, the word enabled, that God empowered him, a conviction of the Holy Spirit, and Paul comes to saving grace. And we know that God enabled us. There was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we come to saving grace. And then Paul spoke of that word enabling again. And he said, God enabled me to be called into ministry. He empowered him. The Holy Spirit led him and directed him into ministry. And so here we are this morning. And we've come to saving grace. And God enables us. He empowers us uh, to come to ministry. And you say, well, Pastor Bob, uh, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor's wife, you know, and so on down the line. I don't want to be an elder. I don't want to be a deacon. I just want to come to church. Well, God calls us to ministry. Moms, dads, this morning, you're married, you have children, you have a ministry at home. Tomorrow we go to work, you have a ministry at work. God calls each and every one of us, and this is the beautiful part. He enables us, he empowers us into ministry. And we developed all that last week. But now we come into this chapter 2. And God enables us to be called into the ministry of prayer. He empowers us uh, to come into the ministry of prayer. Not just the leadership. And I want you to think this morning, how do you, how do you believe you came to saving grace? Somebody was praying for you. God enabled somebody, empowered somebody, and they came to that place of prayer. They began to agonize for you. I can give testimony. I found out later my mom was praying for me. I had other family members that were praying for me. Some of you are praying for family, friends, and loved ones. Some might be praying for a spouse, a husband, or a wife that has not come to saving grace. God enables us. He calls us to prayer. And so this beautiful, essential, this important part of prayer. Now, it's easy to get hung up on, well, how do I pray? Do I pray like the King James? Do I pray like the New King James? Or do I pray? How do I pray? 
In fact, that was the whole Lord's Prayer. Teach us how to pray. And so Jesus begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. And so he begins to give instructions how to pray. But bottom line, I want you to listen to this. Prayer is basically, it's communication with God. It's making communication with God. Now, moms, dads, those of us that have children, we love our child to come up and to communicate with us. And we love our child to come up and what? Ask us. And so that's what we are to God. Now, when we communicate with God, he communicates with us. Well, I've never heard God's voice. Well, have you ever read your Bible? And as you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. How many times as we're going to begin here in 1 Timothy in chapter 2, how many times when we teach on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and you know that God has spoken to you. It's his word. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the instrument, the tool that God has placed here. But as we communicate with God in prayer, he communicates back to us. How many times you've been reading the scripture on your own and it just seems you hear that terminology. It seems like the words leaped out of the Bible, leaped out of that page onto your heart. It's God speaking to you. And God speaks to us quite a bit if we allow him. Prayer is communication. Now, before we get into this, I always like to give just a little bit of background. Nelson's Bible Dictionary gives us this position on prayer. Listen to it. He says, prayer is communication with God because God is personal. All people can remain, all people, excuse me, all people can offer prayers. Now listen to what he says. However, sinners who have not trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation remain alienated from God. Radical statement. He goes on, so while unbelievers may pray, they do not have the basis for a rewarding fellowship with God. They have not met the conditions laid down in the Bible for effective prayer in their life. You need to come to the born-again experience. You see, God hears the prayers of the righteous. Now, wait a minute. You mean a sinner can pray and God will not hear them? A sinner can pray because each one of us were sinners before we came to Christ. And we made the sinner's prayer. God hears that prayer. But when somebody sits down and they're a non-believer and they begin to ask, they begin to seek, they begin to knock, does God hear them? The Bible says no. They need to come to saving grace. And so that's where we come in for them. We pray for them. We pray for them. I still have family members back in Southern California that have not come to saving grace. So we intercede for them. We petition for them. We request in their name for salvation. We're going to see that in verse 1. And so the call to prayer. Notice as we begin here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 1. Paul begins, therefore, I exhort first of all, and he gives us the four positions, that supplications, that prayers, that intercessions, and that giving of thanks be made for all men. Here is the fourfold position on prayer, basically. And it's so beautifully. Paul brings this forth now. Number one, as he begins with prayer. The word supplication. The word supplication basically means to make your request known. 
And so as we begin our time of prayer, the first request that I should be made known is my sins. Lord, forgive me. Especially if I'm going to come in, into the presence of God and to seek his face. There has to be a cleansing. There has to be a washing. There has to be an emptying of self. Now, I've come to the born-again experience, but I'm still a sinner. You're a sinner. And so there must be the cleansing before I approach, listen, a holy God. Write this verse down in 1 John 1, 9. John writes, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So I asked for forgiveness initially when I came to saving grace. But now, as I come to prayer on a daily basis, there has to be a cleansing and a washing. Lord, forgive me. If you study the prayers of King David in the Old Testament, uh, of King Solomon in the Old Testament, they always began their prayers, Lord, forgive me and forgive the sins of our nation, Israel. And so we take heed. And so I make my request known. Lord, forgive me. And then the request takes off from there. You can pray for the husband. You can pray for the wife. You can pray for the kids. You can pray for your ministry. You can pray for this ministry. There's so many positions in requesting. Now let's go on the next portion. After supplication, it's called prayer. And the word prayer here means to worship. Now we partook of worship uh, as Ray brought forth the worship so beautifully this morning. And we worship God. But what if you're at home? Now you've uh, prepared your request by saying, Lord, forgive me. And now you come into that place of asking, but what about worshiping God? And so we spend that time of worship, giving God praise and honor and glory, the time of worship. Remember, we're approaching a holy God. And then thirdly in our prayer, intercession. Now, intercession speaks of specifics. And so what are some specifics? I've already prayed for forgiveness. I've come to worship him. And now I pray specifics. And so a priority in my specifics is I pray for salvation of those that I know that are not saved. Lord, I pray for my mom. Lord, I pray for my dad. Mention them by name. Lord, I pray for the spouse, you know, the husband or the wife. Lord, I pray for my kids. I bring them forth, their name, to the Lord. And so I pray specifics. So now I've gone through the position of specifics of salvation. You can continue in your specifics. And so then I pray for healing. Lord, my physical body. Lord, my wife, her body, heal her. Lord, my children, one of them is very sick. Heal them. And so I'm asking God. I'm making a specific request. We have prayers here at the chapel for those that are ill. And so not only uh, the healing... But some of us have financial problems. And so we have a specific in prayer. Lord, I pray for my finances. Lord, I pray you give me that good job. Lord, money's a little low right now. I pray that I can get some overtime. It's amazing. Had a farmer that came in a couple years back, and he said he normally gets four cuts of alfalfa. And he said, pray, Pastor Bob, that we get the four cuts. And maybe God will bless us and we'll get a fifth cut. And he says, that's a good uh, ratio. Well, about three weeks later, he comes in. I go, hey, how's the alfalfa doing? He goes, man, I'm tired. 
And I said, well, maybe you need to stop praying. He goes, no, I got to keep praying. He says, well, that day we prayed, we went home and we started praying. God didn't only give us four cuts, he gave us five cuts, and then he gave us six cuts. And so we pray. We pray for specifics. And so many times God takes care of us. Now, right now we have a group of teens that are going up in two vehicles. They're going to Albuquerque. They're going to be there today and then tomorrow. And they're going to spend time at the purity conference and such. And, you know, the adults are with them. They go in two vehicles. Moms are concerned. The two drivers are concerned. And so a specific. We pray for traveling mercies. We pray for traveling mercies. And I'll tell you what, uh, for 26 years, Mary and I and the kids, we've been going back and forth on the I-10 from here to Southern California. It's 842 miles from my driveway to my mom's driveway. Then my wife's parents live about two blocks from there, so add another two blocks. And we pray. We pray because <laughs> we've been on that highway. Uh, I used to travel all night. I can't do that no more. I'm tired by the time I get to Demi now. But he used to do all-nighters, believe that. And so, 3 o'clock in the morning, the kids are asleep, Mary's asleep. I'm listening to his, you know, cassette, not an 8-track, a cassette. And I'm listening to praise, and I'm just, oh, Lord, this is cool. 3 o'clock in the morning, the highway's wide open. And then I sense the Holy Spirit move over, change lanes. I used to argue with the Lord. I look in the mirror, nobody's there. But I learned to move over. It never fails. Somebody comes up that would have hit us from behind so easily. So we pray for traveling mercies. It's so important. Travel. And so there's so many specifics when it comes uh, to prayer. I mean, fill in the blanks. There's so many things that we can pray for. And then here's the last portion of the prayer in verse 1, and that is thanksgiving. I hope you don't wait till November, Thanksgiving, you know, Turkey Day, and that's the day you're thankful. Oh, my goodness. We should be thankful every day. You see, I'm speaking from experience. I remember the only time we prayed was Thanksgiving. Lord, bless this bird and bless the football game, Lord. God did not hear those prayers. But Thanksgiving is gratitude. Thank you, Father. And I want you to understand the things that we should be thankful for. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for healing my body. Lord, thank you for, and again, fill in the blank. You got that job. Lord, thank you for that job. You got that vehicle you've been praying for. Lord, thank you for that vehicle. I mean, there is so much to be thankful for. We, we look at... God himself, and how we're so grateful. Lord, thank you for all the things you've done in my life. I've been a Christian for so long, and if you've been a Christian, Lord, thank you for the blessings. And it could go endless, the blessings that God has given us. So we can be thankful for our work, our school, education. We can be thankful for our ministry, our pastors, our, our church. Now listen to this. Are we thankful for our president? Well, I don't like him. I didn't ask you that. The Bible says we pray for those that have authority over us. Well, I don't like even the two that are running now. That doesn't matter. You're a Christian. We're called to prayer. 
one of the things I learned about being thankful is being here in the Southwest for the last 26 years. I mean, God's creation is here. Not that it's not anywhere else, but, you know, you look at the blue skies. I know we've been having some rains, but nine out of ten days, we're, you know, blue skies. It was hard for me in Southern California to be thankful when you look up and you see brown. And then somebody says, there is a blue sky. There is. I haven't seen it for a while. But we're thankful for God's creation. And so the position there of prayer. And so Paul's speaking about the call for prayer. Now, in verse 2, he gives you a specific. He says, pray for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all goodliness or godliness, excuse me, and reverence. And so here's that position of those that are leaders over you. We are called as a church, as the body of Christ, we are called as Christians to pray for the president, to pray for the civil uh, leaders, to pray for those in authority over you. Now listen to this. To pray for those that are in charge of you. Law enforcement, fire department. I mean, there is so much to be thankful for. And, And, you know, oh... We're so angry when they pull us over. But the Bible says we're to pray for them. Pray for those who have rule over you. Even if we don't agree, well, you know, I don't want no Democrat winning. I don't want no Republican winning. doesn't matter. You see, when President Clinton was in, in, you know, in office, he did some things that were immoral in my standards. But I still prayed for him. We're to pray for him. You might not agree with George Bush, but you are called to pray for him. Now, I don't know who's going to be the next president, but we're called to pray for them. And so it's so beautiful when you begin to see that. Notice, so he says here in verse 2, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life as we pray for these that have rule over us. A life of tranquility and a life of no disturbance. That's what it says. We live in the best country in the world. Why do you think everybody tries to get in here? Now, is our country perfect? No. Is our leadership perfect? No. But God's hand of grace is upon our nation. We are basically a godly nation. Listen to the church that's here. The body of Christ. And so it is so beautiful to know that while we're asleep, there are those guardians out there. Now, I know this. Some of you maybe have been broken into Some of you, maybe your house has been ransacked. That happened to us in Southern California. These things happen. But still be thankful for those that are out there. Just recently, our neighbors uh, were across the street. They took off. We didn't know. They didn't say anything, and they took off. They had put up a beautiful wall, and then when we woke up in the morning on a Friday night, we woke up Saturday, somebody had, you know, graffitied their wall. Beautiful wall that just put it up. I felt so bad. I went over there. Nobody was home. I felt more bad because they were gone for the weekend. I didn't know. And they came back on Monday. Imagine looking at their wall. These things happen. But we still pray. And we ask God that his godliness and reverence speaks about his holiness, his honesty in the Lord. Pray for those that have rule over us. They're not perfect. 
Neither are we perfect, but we pray. Look at our third world countries. Look at the things that happen. Look over here in Mexico, right here in Juarez. The innocence of the killing of women. The innocence of the killing of those that have rule there. In fact, people are quitting their positions because they don't want to be killed. We live in a great country. And I'll tell you what. There's evil and there's bad in our country. But we keep praying. Now, we studied this a few weeks ago. I don't have time to go over it completely, but I want you to write it down. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Now, if you know the story of the Thessalonians, Paul had to address them in certain areas. And one of the areas was the rapture of the church. Many at Thessalonica believed that the rapture of the church had already taken place. And that they were already in the tribulation. And so Paul comes in in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he so beautifully, you know, brings forth the teaching that that which restrains is still here. The restrainer is the church. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit that is not allowing the Antichrist to come into his office. But once the rapture of the church takes place, the restrainer will be taken away. And see, I believe strongly that there's a lot of Christians in the United States of America. And because there's a lot of Christians born again of the Holy Spirit, that restrainer that lives within us, which is the Holy Spirit, is what brings this beautiful country of ours, that it is the greatest country, I believe, even though we've got a lot of problems right now. I want you to think of third world countries. Now, I want to just read two verses out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 6, I want you to listen. And Paul says, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. And if you look at your text, the he is a personal pronoun. But the H is a lowercase h. It's speaking about the Antichrist. And so let me read it to, for you to understand. And you know what is restraining, what is holding back that he, uh, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. And then he changes it now in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness or wickedness, which is sin, is already at work. And here's the change, only he, and now, personal pronoun again, but the capitalization of the H. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until he, personal pronoun, capital H, is taken out of the way. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And that's why I believe we're such a great country. We were a country that was founded on the word of God. A country that believes in God. And yet we see so much apostasia today. So much falling away. And so verse 2 again, going back to our text, pray. He says for kings. Pray for those that have authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all uh, godliness and reverence. Prayer, church. Prayer is the essential. Prayer is so important. And again, look how God has blessed. And yet the sin that's here. Imagine once the restrainer is taken, taken away. And then the seven years of tribulation. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 3. 
And then Paul speaks again where the whole context is called to prayer. Prayer is good, and he goes into it. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That God accepts prayer. God enjoys that we have communication with him. Now, in verse 3, I looked at the uh, New Living Translation, and I also looked at the NIV. They're the same, and they're appropriate here. And this is the translation. This is, a, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. What is good, and what pleases God our Savior? That we pray. That we pray. Again, moms, dads, when your children come up to you, and they ask, they seek, they knock, and, and they sometimes bug you. Well, God wants to hear us. This morning, one of the ladies in our fellowship first service, she said, thank you for mentioning that we keep asking. Because there's a few family members that I've, I've kind of given up on. But your prayer, your message this morning encouraged me to continue to pray for them. You see, the enemy wants you to give up. Don't give up. Again, here in verse 3, when we pray... When we pray, as we mentioned in verse 1, the request, the worship, the specifics. When I pray with gratitude, thanksgiving unto the Lord. When I pray, those who have rule and authority over me. Again in verse 2. And here in verse 3, Paul says, it pleases God. It pleases God. My communication. My time of prayer. The Bible says that Abraham pleased God in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Enoch pleased God in the Old Testament. We're studying the life of King David. The Bible says that King David pleased God, and yet he was a very sinful man. It pleases God when we pray. And see, some of you, be careful with this type of attitude. Well, Pastor Bob prays. Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jay. You know, Ray does worship, so he prays. Oh, that's all true, and the answer is yes, but what about you? I hope you're praying for me. I hope you're praying for us. The body of Christ, prayer, communication. Lord, bless our pastors. Lord, bless our church. Lord, meet all of our needs. Again, we, we have specifics. How do we pray? There's a beautiful passage I love and we shared about asking, seeking, and knocking. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says in this position of prayer, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now there are pastors and there are ministries that say, Listen, you only ask God once. You only seek God once. You only knock on God's door once. That's not what my scripture says. If you look at the Greek text here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it's a continued asking. It's a continued seeking. It's a continued knocking. Be persistent. Don't give up. Listen, somebody didn't give up on you. Somebody kept praying for you that you would come to saving grace. Somebody prayed for me. Somebody prayed for you. If you have a loved one and they're not saved and you've been praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Lord, I haven't given up on my mom. Lord, I haven't given up on my dad. Lord, my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle. What about the spouse? Lord, the wife. Lord, the husband. 
And you better be praying. You better be seeking. So then he goes into verse 4. Listen to this. And again, let me set this up. When we pray, Paul's going to say here, it's God's desire. Notice in verse 4, who desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge and the truth. God's desire as we pray is for all men and women to be saved and to understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now we know that not everybody's going to come to saving grace. But it's our place to pray for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. <laughs> now there's a beautiful passage. I want you to turn to it with me. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. It is God's desire that all men come to saving grace. All women come to saving grace. And it's our place, and we're called to that place of prayer. But notice what Peter writes. In 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 8 with me. Beloved, so he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the body of Christ. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. You see, we have this time limit. We have this time mix going, if you may. But there's no time limit with God. Now, God does have a prophetic clock. And certain things are going to happen in his time, not my time, not your time. But God doesn't sit up there with a time X and say, well, when's Bob going to pray? When's God, you know, when is George going to communicate with me? When is Mary going to communicate with me? But as we pray, it's God's desire that all men, all women would come to saving grace and the understanding of truth. And so now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 9. And Peter writes, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. The word is patient. He's patient towards us, and he's not willing, and here's the beautiful text, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is so patient. Look how long he waited for you. I know for a fact that there was a three-year span that people were praying for me. And literally, I was running from God. Some of you were running from God. And yet God is patient with us. And then he uses the next word, and God is not slack. God does not delay, but in his time, in his time. There's always going to be those, oh, you're praying for your husband, or you're praying for your wife, or you're praying for your children, but nothing's happening. How about the church at Thessalonica? Oh, you guys really believe that the rapture of the church is coming, and yet nothing is happening. I remember my grandma said that, you know, the end of the world was coming. My grandma said that the rapture was coming. It still didn't happen. And so we listen to the enemy instead of listening to the Lord. Look at verse 9 again. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. He's patient. He's patience towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come uh, to repentance or saving grace. 
Is all men going to be saved? The, the Bible says no. But the invitation is there for everybody. You see, we're free moral agents, and we must make that choice, that decision. Now, verses 5 and 6, let's go back to our text. So Paul's praying, of, you know, teaching on the call to prayer. And if we pray, all these things are going to fall into place. And so we're praying that all men everywhere come to saving grace. Then he speaks about there's only one way to salvation. This is radical because a lot of people don't agree here. Verses 5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself, this is Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We just read this that applied to our teaching on Wednesday night. There is one mediator. A mediator is a go-between, an intercessor, a reconciler, a go-between. There has to be a go-between between God and man. And that go-between, that intercessor, is the man, Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is all God and he's all man. It's called his incarnation. Jesus is our go-between. He goes between us and our Heavenly Father. Jesus is our uh, go-between. He becomes our atonement. He becomes our complete sacrifice. Jesus, according to verse 6 now, is our ransom. He becomes our redemption price. 2,000 years ago there at Calvary, he paid the full price for me, for you, for all mankind with his precious blood. There's a beautiful passage in the book of Hebrews, but let me set up the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written uh, to the Hebrew Christians, and they needed to know that Jesus was the complete sacrifice, that Jesus is our final high priest, and no more animal sacrifices, and no more new high priests, but Jesus is our complete high priest and our complete sacrifice. In Hebrews 9.22, the writer of Hebrews says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There has to be the shedding of blood. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament was just a covering. It was temporal. But Jesus died to give us life, life eternal. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And again, look at verse 5. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus becomes our go-between. And then in verse 6, he, speaking of Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 2,000 years ago. Jesus died to give us life, life eternal. Now, there always has to be this mediator. As you look at your Bible, you have 39 Old Testament books. You have 27 New Testament books. There are 66 books in our scriptures. If you begin in Genesis chapter 1, you, you look at Genesis, and you just follow suit. And you see the five books of Moses. But scholars will tell you that the oldest book in the Bible, because we have it in chronological order, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on. Chronologically, it's set up. But scholars believe that the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. That Job goes way back to the beginning, before even uh, the book of Genesis was written. And I want you to listen to Job, because Job speaks about the resurrection. He knew that it was going to come. How did he know that? The Holy Spirit reveals it to his heart. But listen to Job. He, he speaks about this mediator. In Job chapter 9, verse 33, Job looked for a days man. The word days man is the King James, and it means a mediator, a go-between, a reconciler. Jesus is this go-between. Jesus is this reconciler. Jesus is this mediator. He sheds his blood to give us life, life eternal. Now, there's a verse that I've shared many times, and some of you have heard it. It's a radical verse that people do not like. In John 14, 6, the gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You see, we hear that terminology. Many roads lead to God. My Bible says that Jesus dies on the cross. I must go through that cross. The Father sends the mediator down. This mediator dies on the cross. His name is Christ Jesus. He sheds his blood without the remission, uh, without the shedding of blood, no remission of sin. The problem is, man in his own mind, I want to get to God my way. And so they go by works, they go by programs, they go by gimmicks. Listen to this, they go by religion. And instead of going through the cross, man wants to go around the cross this way, or man wants to go around the cross this way, or man wants to go over the cross or under the cross. But we don't want to obey and go through the cross. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. You see, this is all revealed to you as the Holy Spirit teaches you, as you pray, and as you read, as you study, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us so beautifully. Now, Paul is still talking about prayer. Let's go back to the text. And he says this about his own call to ministry because of prayer. In verse 7, for which I now, I was appointed in three positions of Paul's call. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Because of prayer, Paul comes to saving grace. We studied that last week out of Acts chapter 9. Because of prayer, God appoints, he ordains, Paul to ministry. Now a preacher. The word preacher here in the Greek is a heralder. A town crier, if you may. One who brought forth the news. You've seen it in the movies or you, you've read it in an old book. Hear ye, hear ye. The town crier, he would go to a, a place in the square where everybody would come, congregate. He would stand on what they called a soapbox and when he would bring forth this news. Paul was the heralder, uh, the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what about you? So I'm not called to ministry, you say. But God's called you to herald. God's called you to preach. I mean, tomorrow you go to work. Tomorrow you go to school. Tomorrow you go, you know, maybe uh, on vacation. 
But you're called to preach. You're called to minister. And then he says here, you're called to be an apostle. And so we know that apostle is an ambassador for Christ, a representative of Christ, one that took forth and represented his or her country, but now we represent Christ. Paul represented Christ. And then Paul says he's called to be a teacher. Now the word to be a teacher here is that Paul was called to be an instructor of the Word of God, a doctor of the Word of God, a master teacher of God's Word. And you say, well, that's, you know, Paul's call. That's your call, Pastor Bob. But you see, we're all called to teach moms. The Bible says that we train up a child in the ways of the Lord. Dad, the Bible says that we train up a child in the ways of the Lord. We shared about Timothy's Growing up, it was his grandmother and his mom that raised him in the ways of the Lord. And so we're all teachers when you think about it. And God calls us, as we shared last week, he enabled Paul, he empowered Paul to come into that place of a teacher, a preacher, an apostle. And I like this, his call was to the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, Paul, when you study his letters, he wanted desperately to go into the synagogues, and he did. But he was often chased. Uh, the Jews rejected him. They hated him. They despised him. Many times they wanted to kill him. And so Paul was called the apostle to the Gentiles because the Jews did not want to hear. He took it to the Gentiles, and they gladly heard the gospel. And I like that Paul says, I'm not a liar. I preach the truth, the truth of God. And again, like I read that verse to you in John 14, 6, there's a lot of people that don't like that verse. Well, that's your version, Pastor Bob. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. Now, we come into the next section. We're going to spend a little time here. And Paul addresses prayer again. But then he instructs the women. But the men are also called to prayer. But he spends some time. Remember, the women had come to freedom in and through Christ. And they were gathering together, as we're here this morning, in church services. And sometimes there was discrepancies. And so Paul makes some corrections. He begins here in verse 8, I desire, therefore, that men, and I want to include this, that men and women pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men, according to creation, we came first. And God calls us the prophet, priest, and king of the home. We have a tremendous responsibility. And so I can understand Paul here. He's addressing the men. We are called to prayer. And so here's this beautiful teaching this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the call to prayer. And so he says, therefore, I pray, my desire is that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Hands of righteousness, hands that are sacred, hands that are set apart for God's work. Hands without wrath. Hands that are not doubting. And so Paul's beautiful heart here. You're called to lift up holy hands in prayer. Not in wrath. The word is, how can we pray in anger? 
How can we pray in vengeance or punishment? Indignation is another translation. How can we pray in violence? Lord, I'm praying for my neighbor. I pray you kill him, Lord. That's not a prayer. And then I like this part. And we not only pray with hands lifted up, we pray without wrath, but also without doubting. Have faith in your prayer. Trust God. Believe God that he's going to save that loved one. Believe God that, you know, he's going to find that job for you. Believe God that, you know, you're praying for that house. You want to buy a house. Trust God. Pray. Ask the Lord. Remember, ask, seek, and knock. See what God's going to do. Pray with faith. Listen to this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you might respond, well, I don't have that much faith, Pastor Bob. Uh, get into the word of God and watch God teach you faith. Watch God bless you with faith to trust God, to believe in God. Now we come into this next section. He's been speaking about prayer, and he speaks about prayer for the men. But the words in verse 9, in like manner, everything we've been praying about and, and looking at prayer about, it's not just for the men, but in like manner also for the women. And so he goes on into verse 9, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now you have to think of the structure of how they dressed in the time. And then he says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. In like manner gives us the introduction here. He's speaking to men and to women. In like manner. So as we are instructed to pray. And then the encouragement. These are for Christian women. Adorn. Uh, to garnish in order. To garnish in order. It begins with modest apparel. Clothing of good behavior. Dress with priority and moderation. Dress for God in reverence and self-control and self-respect. Not with braided hair. Now, this is where it really takes off. But you have to think of the culture. Hair that was twisted and woven with gold and pearls and fancy things of the world. <laughs> the women and the men were to dress in reverence to God, the women, to their husband, with self-control and self-respect. Now, one commentary hit it on the, on the nail on the head. The woman was to dress to please God. The woman was to dress to please her husband. The woman was not to dress to please an adulterous affair. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And I believe a husband uh, should not be afraid to tell his wife, honey, I don't think you should wear that. 
It's not appealing as, you know, a woman of God. I think it's good, especially we see what's out there today. There is so much misappropriation of the way uh, people dress today. Look at verse 10 now. But which is proper for women professing godliness with good works? Now, I like it here. He's still addressing the women, but it also, uh, in like manner, it applies to the men. Let her be adorned in professing godliness. One commentary said this, In their devotion to God, let them be attractive by the good things they do and they represent. We're an ambassador for Christ. What do we represent? We represent God. Now, if you've studied the letters to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Corinthians were very immoral. And yet the Corinthians were coming to saving grace. And yet Paul had to correct a lot of things that uh, the Corinthians were doing. Uh, let me give you an example. Back in 1st Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul mentions a brother. Now, that's a hard concept for me. He says, there's a brother amongst you that is lying with his stepmom. He was going to bed with his stepmother. And Paul said, exhort him. Go and tell him it's wrong. Hand him over to Satan for a while. As you continue to follow that man's life, he does repent and he comes to saving grace. The Corinthians. And so do we do the things like the Corinthians? Do we dress like the Corinthians? And so this is what Paul is saying. He says, but which is proper for women, professing godliness, let it be with good works. Now we know that works do not save us, but works come after saving grace. Now we're going to read some scriptures here. Ladies, please don't get mad at me. But this is Paul the Apostle, I believe strongly, as the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Now, I want you to think of creation. God created man in his image, and then he took a rib and he made the woman. But God created man first. Now, when we get to heaven, ladies, you can argue all you want. Why was he given first choice? Well, the responsibility is tremendous, tremendous, that God has placed upon the man. And you're going to see that Eve is the one that partook of the forbidden fruit, but God went after Adam the responsible party. And so, again, the cultural situation that was happening uh, in the early church. In verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. The culture at the time separated the women on one side of, of the meeting and the men on the other side concerning the church service. The freedom that the women came to in experiencing at this time, the freedom in Christ was amazing. And all of a sudden, the woman was asking a lot of questions. And Paul was asking that the woman be in submission to the dress code, to be in submission not like to the world, but unto the Lord, to be in submission to her husband. We read that in the book of Ephesians. Asking that their works be and representing godliness. And now he says that the woman learn in silence. Now, that doesn't mean a woman can't say anything. Right away, see, the preacher said, shut up. <laughs> That's not what it says in Scripture. <laughs> Let me clarify that. 
The word learn in silence, listen, the translation learn in peaceableness, not speaking out loud. Again, the woman is just coming into her place. The men did everything. And all of a sudden, the freedom in Christ. And so the women were on this side or the men were on that side. And then the woman would say to her husband, Levi, what is he saying? And so Paul is saying, there's a time and a place. Learning in submission to the authority of the teacher. Now, you'll notice when you come to Calvary Chapel that once I come up to the pulpit, I teach, you take notes, you listen. But in some other ministries, somebody might get up and say, I have a word from the Lord. That's happened twice here. The first time it happened, it was strange. I was getting ready to teach. My head was bowed and I was praying and I felt somebody come up. You can, these are, you know, made out of wood and it gives. And I knew it was not the Holy Spirit. And he was waiting right here and I finished my prayer and I look at him and he said, I said, can I help you? He says, I have a word from the Lord. And I said, no, you don't. You need to sit down because I'm going to teach right now. You see, the ushers came, sat him down comfortably. He sat through the whole service. But we have to be in submission to the teaching of the word of God. And so imagine that some of the women had to learn in silence. There's a time and a place. That's what Paul is saying. And then in verse 12 is a controversial verse. And then Paul says, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence again. And so right away, women have a response and say, Well, Paul was a male chauvinist. And we have to look at the scripture. We have to look at the time of the culture. Verse 12 I believe and I teach that a woman should not pastor a church unless, now listen to me, there is not a man available to teach. What are you saying? Well, there was no judges to appoint, and God appointed a woman named Deborah. There's a time and a place. But when there is a man there to teach, he is to take over. Now, that does not mean that a woman cannot teach. She can teach other women, she can teach children, she can teach teens, but a woman is not to pastor a church, according to the scriptures. It's a position that God has given to the man. Now, if you ask my wife, do you want to be the pastor of the church? She'll answer quickly, no, because she knows her place. Not that I've placed her there, she knows her place. You, you should know your place. Now, then why do we have women that are pastoring? That's a good question. But let me share a story with you that happened years ago in Calvary Chapel because I had always understood this teaching from Pastor Chuck and from the scriptures. Do not permit a woman to usurp authority over a man. Years ago, there was a woman by the name of Gabriella Chan. Some of you heard the story. And she was part of the Chinese ministry uh, in Los Angeles. She was taking Chuck's tapes, and she was translating them into Chinese and then shipping them uh, to China. Well, she eventually goes to China, and she was doing a mighty work. 
and translating more over there. She never considered herself a pastor. She was in the underground church, but things became very hostile for her, and she had to come back to the States in fear of her life. Well, she comes back to the Chinese ministry after a couple of years, and there she is in Los Angeles, California, and there was no man teacher. And all the Chinese uh, that were Christian at the time, there was about 200 of them that were meeting, and they considered her the pastor. She did not want that. Pastor Chuck got wind of it, called her into his office. She was deathly afraid. She thought, Chuck's going to kill me. You know, I'm an egg roll after this. That's it. I should have said that. Pastor Chuck so beautifully comforted her, encouraged her, looked at everything. There was not a man to appoint to that position. And Chuck told her, you're the pastor until God takes over and replaces you with a man. And she did that for a couple of years. And so, you see, you have to be open. They were looking for a new judge. There was none. Deborah, God wants to use you. But when a woman wants to be the pastor of the church and there's men there to do the ministry, I believe then she's out of order. And so again, you can look at this. You can argue with it. Well, Pastor Bob, no, take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. I got to meet Gabriella Chen, and I could see why she was the pastor. This woman took charge. She took charge until the time came, and God placed her, replaced her with a man. And so it's so beautiful when it puts together. Now, let's finish the, the, the chapter off. In verse 13, and he goes into the explanation of the creation. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So Paul takes it back to the order of creation. God made Adam and he took the rib and he made the woman. Now, does that make man, listen, better than a woman? The answer is no. And there are women out there that have, you know, the mind of science. There are women out there that are great lawyers, doctors. We're going to be watching the Olympics in the next month here. There's going to be women that do things that some of us men can't do. It's the order of creation. It's the order of creation. It's not just the rank, but it's the order that God has placed. Verse 14 and 15, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And so God knew that it was Eve. But the responsibility went to Adam. Adam, where art thou? And then in verse 15, beautiful here. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbirth or childbearing if they continue, how? In faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Obedience. Obedience and God's going to bless. One of the things the enemies of Israel feared so much is that the Jewish moms... I mean, they were having children constantly. God blessed them. They were always afraid because their armies would grow quickly. And so for a woman not to have child, and so God says, I will bless that. And so this morning, leave here with that place of prayer, the call to prayer. If you've not taken that time to find yourself 
with a time of prayer. Do so. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the, you hear people, well, I prayed for two hours every day. Good for you. I just want you to pray. You know that you could pray for 10, 15 minutes, and you could get a whole lot more than some of these that say, I prayed for two hours, brother. I fasted for three days. So what? If it's, you know, if you're so pious that you have to tell everybody, let God hear your communication. Bring your communication to God. And if you can get into a ritual, if, if I may, where you do it in the morning. And then some of us drive off to work. You can pray going to work. Just remember, leave your eyes open, okay? Let's stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful chapter. And I pray this morning that each one of us have a place of communication with God. Have a place of prayer time with God. Lord, the disciples had come to you and they said, Teach us how to pray. And you gave them the Our Father that we so beautifully quote. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But Jesus was giving instructions how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, I pray that we would have that place that in our hearts that we're praying for those that are not saved. And Lord, maybe this morning there's somebody here and they've not made that commitment to Christ. I don't want you to leave here without Christ in your heart. Maybe somebody's been praying for you, but you still have not responded. Lord, it's me. I want to give you that opportunity right there where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, if you want to receive Christ this morning, raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ, please raise your hand. Praise the Lord. And if we're all Christian, if we're all saved, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the body of Christ here this morning. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. We have loved ones, Lord. Some have spouses that still have not come to saving grace. Some of us have children still that have not come to saving grace. Some of us have children that are backslidden. Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, that we might be an intercessor for them. And Lord, that they would come to saving grace. Father, bless your people as they've come this morning. Father, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And again, Lord, be with our youth as they're traveling to Albuquerque. Give them, give them safe passage, safe journey. Bring them back home safely on Monday afternoon, Lord. And, Father, we ask thy blessings now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.